I invite you to turn um, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4 today. Matthew 4. Today is one of those, this is just one of the, the highlights. First of all, as a parent, um, it's a highlight when your children make the decision want to follow Christ, but it's also a highlight as a pastor because this is one of the most exciting times. Not only is it the most, one of those exciting times in the lives of those that are being baptized, but it's also in the life of the church. Um, when, when people are being added um, to the church who are responding to the call that Jesus has on their lives. So in Matthew chapter 4, um, we're going to read verses 18 to 22. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending the nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and followed him. We're here today because of three young ladies who've responded to the call that Jesus said. One day he said to them, come, follow me. And they've responded to that. The call of Jesus, I just want to make, there's three observations that I want to make from this text, and I'll draw on a a few others as well. The call that Jesus placed or the call that Jesus gave to the disciples here is the call that Jesus used throughout Scripture. You read through the Gospels, different times that He called, um, people would come to Him and would say, we want to follow Him, or they would want to be His disciples. And um, the, the other 12 disciples, Jesus always came to them and He said to them, come, follow Me. So what does that mean? What does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? For us, it'll look a little bit different in some ways than it did for the disciples. Um, but we'll get, it, we'll get into that. I'm getting ahead of myself. We'll get into that a little bit later. But the call of Jesus was very clear. It was very precise, super simple, yet it is deeply, deeply profound. When you listen to the call to come, follow me. It's a call that is meant for every single person in the world. It's not just for a few here or there. It's a call that Jesus gives to everyone in the world. When I was thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, I suppose the social media world has given this idea of following someone a whole new twist. But sometimes I wonder if we don't follow Jesus like we follow someone on Twitter. We like what he says. We like what he talks about. We like the, th- the, th- the things that he does, the things that he posts. But that's as far as we want to take it. Is there more? There's people I follow on Twitter because they're incredibly interesting. Some people are just phenomenal with some of the crazy stuff they they put on Twitter. 
I follow some people because some of the things they write are really, really inspiring and they make you think. But that's just following an idea. It's just following something that a person is throwing out. It means following Jesus is not simply believing just in who he is. Think about that. The the forces of darkness believe in who Jesus is. They recognize that. They recognize that in him. So what does it mean when Jesus says, follow me? It's a call to be a disciple. It's a call to discipleship. And that is simply, in its simplest form, it's imitating someone, the one that we're following. And it's, it means that we must be with the person if we're going to become like him. So if a disciple is going to follow Jesus, that means we have to be with Jesus if we want to truly, truly follow him. I'd like to back up just a little bit, and there's three words that I want to, want to focus on today that come from the text, and the first one is the word follow, or the follow me, and then the other ones are they, what they left, and also immediately, and I want to take them in, um, in that order of follow and left and immediately, um, and, and hopefully it'll make sense in the end, but the, the call to follow is a call, like I said, it's a very broad call. It's for everyone in the world, but it's also a deeply, deeply personal call. Think of um, the disciples. When we just look at the text and we see Jesus, no, well, I guess first of all, notice who initiates this call. It is not the disciples who say, look, hey, we want to follow you. Jesus comes and he initiates the call to the disciples. He's the one who comes and initiates the work in your life. He's the one who invites you and I to come and to follow him. Now this is in the story right here in Matthew 4. This is not the first time or very unlikely that it's the first time that they have heard Jesus, that they've encountered Jesus. It's very likely, I mean, I guess it's possible that they even witnessed the baptism of Jesus. Um, back in chapter 3. But here are, in this account here, four guys who are going about their daily business, doing what they do, and Jesus comes and he seeks them out. Jesus seeks out those who he calls to follow him. Sometimes we think when we read this story that Jesus called Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, those three or those four, I'm sorry, because they were fishermen, and because they were fishermen, that they had something special to offer to Jesus and to his ministry. I think Jesus is simply, when he calls them to be fishers of men, he's simply using analogy, something that they actually would understand and, un- and would actually get, make sense to them. Because I don't think Jesus calls them because of who they are, but in spite of who they are. Jesus calls us not based on what we have to offer, not on any merit of our own, but he calls us because he wants us. It's because he chooses us. He doesn't wait until they get all cleaned up to come and to call them. He calls us as we are. And as I was thinking about this, this deeply personal call that Jesus gives to us. Um, 
I guess Marcus and I had just, we had a privilege, such a privilege to spend some time with these three young ladies. And we heard accounts they gave in their stories when they shared their story with us. They told us about each of them had distinct times in their lives when Jesus came and he said, I see you. I notice you. I want you. And he called them to come follow him. Those are just incredibly precious, precious times. And so, because the disciples decided to answer the call, and because these three young ladies decided to answer that personal call that Jesus gave to them, they have now begun a lifelong journey of being his discipleship, of being his disciple. The second word that um, I notice is the word left. And I, I know I'm taking them out of order, um, but the disciple in verse, you see it in verse 19, Peter and, John, or Peter and Andrew, they left their nets and followed him. And again in verse 22, um, James and John, it says they left the boat and their father to uh, follow him. If you go on in Matthew to chapter 8, I believe it is, where Matthew's call, Jesus calls Matthew, it says Matthew, Matthew left everything and he followed Jesus. And my point is simply this, that discipleship is costly. Discipleship is costly. Think about what the disciples here have left. They have left their nets, they left their boats, they left their career, they left financial stability. In some, in some instances, they left their family. There was nothing that they didn't simply leave behind and follow him. Jesus himself, I was reading um, through Luke, Jesus himself did not mince words when he talked about the cost of being a disciple. And I, and I, and I think about this, this, this was rolling through my mind just over and over and over because sometimes, maybe, maybe it came out of our tour of the Behalt here a couple of weeks ago, our church went through Behalt, and I saw from the beginning of the time of Jesus all the way through that through that uh, mural, that painting, seasons in people's lives, the persecution was tremendous, it was immense, and it still is. And yet it seems like here we sit. It's like, why did God place us here now? Sometimes it feels like we have nothing to, we have, it doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't cost us much. But doesn't it? I want you to think about it cost the disciples, different of the disciples, it cost something different. And in some cases, it meant physical life was lost. It meant um, you were severed from your families, whatever it may, may mean. But Jesus, when he talked about, um, when Jesus, let me turn to it real quick in, in Luke when Jesus talked about the cost of discipleship, there's several different cases where he does it. Uh, Matthew or Luke chapter 8 and Luke chapter 14. You don't have to turn to them. I'm just going to refer to them, um, refer to chapter 14 here real quick. Jesus talks, he gives this long, long talk about what it costs to be his disciple. And the reason Jesus began talking about what it means to be his disciple is because there was a tremendous amount, 
crowds of people who were following him <coughs> because of what they could get out of it. He's, he's speaking to these crowds, and then he goes and he talks about if you don't hate your father and your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, um, and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Whoever doesn't bear up his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Literally, taking up your cross, willing to die for the sake of gospel. Then he talks about um, counting the cost before you jump right into it. Um, and I was thinking about that. And I was thinking about those crowds of people who were following Jesus because he was an intriguing figure, almost like a Twitter follower. So someone's intriguing, so I follow him because he's on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. It doesn't matter um, where it is. But perhaps in our comfort and our prosperity, one of the greatest dangers we have is becoming just a Twitter follower of Jesus rather than a true disciple. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He says, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. And he's not talking about a physical death, though it could be. And so, when I look at what the disciples left, and I look what we are called to leave, what are you and I called to leave? What is the cost that you and I experience in our walk with Jesus, in our response, in, in um, being a disciple of Jesus, what are we called to leave behind? Has anyone figured out how to die to self well? Is that a big sacrifice? Is that a hard thing to do? It is for me. I hope it is for, I'm sure it is for the rest of you. But the, the thing of... What I don't want us to hear is that there's something flawed with us or, or that we should feel guilty because we don't face persecution. It's not what I'm saying at all. But the cost for us is maybe just a little bit different right now. But the cost to be a disciple of Jesus is simply this, that the world no longer revolves around you. It no longer revolves around me. That is a hard thing to leave behind when I go and follow Jesus. It does not come easy. It does not come natural. Now my life revolves around Jesus. And that is in um, the other account that I was thinking about in, in Luke chapter 8, I believe it is, is when all these people came to Jesus and they said they want to follow him. And he says, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but I'm, I'm homeless. I don't have any place to go. Um, and the, the other, another guy said, well, first I want to go bury, bury my parents. All this stuff that people, we want to um, simply bring Jesus in and add him to the things that we're already doing. And Jesus is saying, no, you've got to sever that. You've got to leave that all behind and come and follow me. Discipleship is not simply adding Jesus to what we already have. Thirdly, the word immediately jumps out at me. And the point I want to make with this 
and this may seem contradictory, but bear with me, is discipleship is a slow and deep transformation. We live in an instant world where we want everything quickly. We don't like to wait for anything. If we have to wait, a microwave takes too long anymore. It's just everything we want instant. And we sometimes we look at discipleship as instant. We want to see immediate results. We want to see things happen very, very, very quickly. And discipleship doesn't happen that way. So what does it mean when it says when they, they, they immediately they left their nets and they followed him? I think it's simply the exact opposite of that account in Luke 8 where the people wanted to go take care of their business. They wanted to wait until maybe their parents had passed away. And all this stuff was taken care of. of all, everything was all lined up perfectly. Then we're going to come and follow Jesus. The disciples had already weighed all those costs. And Jesus came and he called them. He said, immediately they left their nets and they followed him. The privilege of being with Jesus so far outweighed what they were leaving behind that it was a simply a no-brainer for them. They were not just winging it. It was not something they just thought of in the spur of the moment and decided to go on. But I think the word immediately also indicates their level of commitment in following him. It wasn't this, let's get things straightened out first, and then I will come and follow him. I'll come and follow you. But how about this, this whole idea of wanting quick results? Do you ever read through the Gospels and you look at the disciples' lives? How much time did Jesus spend with the disciples? They were with him daily, every day, for three and a half years. And you read over and over and over and over throughout Scripture, throughout the stories, where the disciples just didn't get it. It's like, how, how can you not get it, what Jesus is saying, if you're with him every day? And yet, it's because it didn't happen just immediately. Um, we often talk about Peter, and we, you can journey through Peter's life, and you see the, that discipleship, that deep change that's happening with him over step by step by step by step. And that's what your lives look like. This is, well, let, me, let me just use a, the analogy of a race, because that's what we were talking about this morning, is this immediately maybe the start of the race, all right? And then so we jump right into it, but it's all that in between, it's all that in-between until we get to the finish. That's where all the work takes place. And if you don't, you don't start a race without being determined that you're going to finish it. If you think you're just going to try it out for a while, see how far you can get, I guarantee you, I don't care if it's a 5K or a half marathon, you're not going to finish it because your mind is not there. You're not, you're not set on the finish. But it's in that journey. It's in that journeying with Jesus day by day by day by day that that deep transformation takes place in that in our following Him. It does not happen quickly. Sometimes I I remember periods in my life where you, you look at your life and you wonder am I even growing spiritually? Sometimes it's hard to see the changes happening in your own life. Sometimes other people can see the work that God's doing in your life better than you can see it in yourself. And one other reason why I think it's so important in how we speak life into each other. When you see God at work in someone's life, bless them in that. Encourage them in that. Um, because sometimes that can, it can be discouraging 
when it feels like you're just stuck in the mud. And the other thing is when you are in that journey, in that discipleship process, don't ever compare it to someone else's journey. Your journey, you guys as individuals, and each one of us, it's different. It's not going to be the same. We're all going to be at different places. So don't compare it to someone else's and don't rush it. Focus on Jesus. I think I came across this quote somewhere, and I just somewhere when I was studying. It says, "Our future is secu- when our future is secure, it changes how we live in the present. When our future with Jesus is secure, it changes how we how we live in the present. When we see, when we know, and the end of the race and what's waiting for us at the end of the race, it changes." how you run. It gives you the the ambition. It gives you what you need to finish the race. Discipleship is very, very intentional. It's very intentional, and it's being with Jesus. So in conclusion, when you you talk about, when I was even reading throughout, through some of those scriptures about Jesus saying we should count the cost of of what it is, the cost of following him. Do you ever ask yourself the question, is it worth it? Is Jesus worth it? We could go read through some of Paul's writings, and I think he could answer that question very quickly for us. Is it worth it? Paul talks about everything that he's left behind, all his accomplishments, all that stuff, and he says, he, it means nothing to him. It's a, it's a pile of garbage, is what he says, for the sake, simply trading that, in, or it is a pile of garbage in comparison to simply knowing Jesus. So the call for, from Jesus, the call to discipleship, goes out to each one of us today. And I read that quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer that says, when Christ calls us, He calls us to discipleship. He calls us to die. When Jesus bids us to come and die, He does so that we may truly live. And when you and I have experienced that life that comes when we die to ourselves and the life that Jesus breathes into us, we find true life, real life. Um, We were talking about this, I think, in our last class with these young ladies and talking about what it, what it means when this life of Jesus is placed in you. And you can add, and they, and they, they began throwing out some words. And I, I was writing them down real quick, and I'll, throw you, I'll show you just some of the words that they came up with or that they shared that night. Freedom. Knowing Jesus is freedom. Being a disciple of Jesus is freedom. It means, they said, you are chosen. It means. I'm not sure I understand. Sorry about that. It means you are chosen, and it means that you belong. Who does not long for a place of belonging? That's what we find in Jesus. And they also use the word peace. Peace. Something that no one can take away. Circumstances, whatever around us, may change. So as we, as we um, think about today and what this means, especially 
for these three young ladies. I just want to close with a prayer from Ephesians that I want to pray for you guys and for each one of us here. And this is my prayer, um, yes, for you guys. So it's in Ephesians 3. My prayer for you as you walk with Jesus is this. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever. Amen. Thank you, Brother Chris. It was a clear call for each of us. It reminded me of a passage in Ephesians 4 where it says this. I'm going to read one or two verses here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all. There is only one baptism. It is the baptism of Jesus. As Chris said, we have had the opportunity to sit with this, uh, these three. We have asked them very direct questions about their relationship with Jesus. They have acknowledged Jesus as their Lord. They have given clear testimony that he is at work in their lives. And at that point, uh, it behooves the family of God to rally around them and baptize them. At Providence, uh, the, it has not been usual to, to church membership with the baptism. That will come next Sunday, Lord willing. But uh, they are, uh, all three of them have also acknowledged that they want to be accountable to the body of Christ, to Providence, and to the body of Christ. So speak into their lives as we go forward. We're going to ask each of them, uh, Abby, Serena, and Sarah, if you want to come up. And we're going to ask each of them to share a short word from God about their own lives. Abby? Okay, first of all, thank you to everyone for being here. All the visitors, it means a lot to see all of your faces here, and it shows a lot of support to us. Um, and also thank you to Marcus and my dad and all the other pastors that have helped us through this, and I've learned a lot of things during these classes and things. Um, so I guess I'll start when I was really little. Um, I decided I wanted to become a Christian. 
Um, but it was mostly out of fear of just going to hell. Um, I didn't really understand what it actually meant, and I viewed God more as just a being up in the sky than like a heavenly father. Um, but as I grew older, I started thinking about it more and learning more about it, and I gave my life to Christ when I was 11 years old. And now I would say that I view God as a loving Heavenly Father who chooses each of us and adores us so much. Um, but becoming Christian doesn't just mean life gets easy. Like, I struggled a lot with thinking I had to please God or do certain things to, like, win His love. Um, and I know that's not true, but I still struggle with it sometimes. Um, But there's one verse um, that's really close to my heart that helps me get through it a lot, um, and that's Isaiah 43.1, where God says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And that's such a great reminder to me constantly that God chooses each and every one of us, and he loves us all, um, and that we are all his. That's all. Hi, my name is uh, Serena Miller. My parents are Andrew and Joanna Miller. And I think as a child, we, we don't quite understand the full depth of everything, but I feel like as a child, you have such a pure and innocent faith. And I really feel that was the case for me. Like, I just, I loved listening to the Bible stories. I thought all of that was so fascinating, so interesting. And I just... I just believed there wasn't anything more to it. God was real. That was all. And as I got older, though, doubts started to get to me. Like, it felt really hard to personalize being a Christian and having a relationship with God. It felt like he was just up there, not really, you know, just kind of looking over. And it really felt in a lot of ways like he was just watching and waiting for me to make a mistake, to mess up, just ready to pounce and punish me at any given moment. And it took a lot to kind of get over that. Like, throughout the years, it has been on and off where it's like, it still feels like he's just looking down, waiting for me to make a mistake. And it takes a lot to look past that and see that's not what it is. He actually does want... He wants what's good for us. He wants what's good for me. And I struggled with that on and off for most of my teenage years. And then a couple years ago, I went to a friend's church camp. And while I was there, I met somebody. And just one night, it was before we were having praise and worship, he came up to me and he just said, Hey, I just feel like God has called me to come talk to you. And... So he talked to me, and I started crying because for once it felt like God specifically sent somebody to talk to me. It wasn't just a broad thing where I just happened to be in the crowd. It was me distinctly, and that was such a defining moment for me to be like, he wants me, he wants all of us, and that includes me. And so... At that moment, I knew I wanted to become a Christian, but I still struggled with feeling like I needed to be perfect, like I needed to achieve something before I could get baptized, that I had to be good enough. 
And so that was another struggle that I really had to try and overcome. And I realized within like the last year or two is that if I continually look for perfection in myself, I'm never going to finally make the decision. I'm never finally going to take that step forward and get baptized like I wanted to. And so I was like, I know in my heart that God is real and that I want to continue to live for him. And that's all that really matters. That's, that's the point. That's what I'm going for. And so I just hope that I have to, I just want to continue to live my life like that, to continue learning. I still have doubts. I'm obviously not perfect, but I want to spend the rest of my life growing and moving forward. Okay, so I also just want to thank everyone for being here. It means a lot. And I also just want to give a huge thank you to Marcus and my dad for all that they've done. I have learned so much throughout these past few weeks. So I also became a Christian when I was really little, but I just didn't really understand what it meant. And I never really... Like, throughout the years, I never really, like, felt like a Christian. So when I was 10 years old, I gave my life to God. And afterwards, I just felt so free. It was like a burden was just lifted off my shoulders. But as time went on, I felt like I slowly kind of drifted away and spent less time with God. So I recently rededicated my life to him earlier this summer. And how I view God, I see him as my heavenly father who is always there and I can just always come to him with all my problems. And I just, um, I continue to learn more about God all the time and I am trying to continue to nourish my relationship with him and spend more time with him daily. A few verses that have helped me a lot are, Matthew eleven twenty eight. it says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That one just, I don't know what it is about it. It's just like that assurance that no matter what, I can always come to him. And then another one is Psalm one thirty nine fourteen. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know this very well. Just, um, again, that assurance that uh, I am here for a reason, and God made me to be who I am. And I want to get baptized to renew my faith in God and declare publicly that I am his. I have learned so much throughout my life and throughout these past few weeks in particular, and, and, and I know I'm going to continue to learn more and more about God every day. Thank you, sisters. You can go get ready. We are going to move outside to have the baptism. It'll take a little bit of uh, work here. I'm suggesting that a large portion of you go out these side doors here. The tank is set up out here, and let's move outside uh, right away. Uh, They'll get ready, and we'll ask them the questions outside. Let's give the family, but let's make sure everyone can see. Um, So spread the circle, and then come in towards the middle of the circle. Make sure the grandmas and grandpas can see and uh, have the space to do that. Come on, let's go outside.